Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode six of the Mentor Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. His name is Aaron Palos, and Aaron owns and runs a very successful YouTube page in which he gets paid to do it. He has like 275,000 subscribers. It's called Life of Palos, where he talks about the latest and greatest news in the supercar community, and he himself owns multiple supercars as well, which we got to see, which was super cool. But outside of that, he's had a very interesting road to get to the point where he is today. Aaron was born and raised in Iowa, grew up in a small town, held down multiple jobs, and then ultimately found a passion getting involved and working for different political campaigns. While working for these political campaigns, he and a group of people started an extremely successful political website, which was one of the most top viewed websites in the world at one point. Ultimately, he got bought out from that group and then went on to now do the YouTube content creation that he does now. He's got the secret recipe for getting millions of views on YouTube, having a highly successful following on social media. And outside of that, he's also a high-level Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt as well. So we had plenty to talk about between supercars, jiu-jitsu, um, his experience with his different companies and growing a brand, um, and then ultimately just his life in general. So very cool episode with a very down-to-earth guy, despite the amount of followers that he has. So without further ado, this is Aaron Palos. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode six of the Mentor Podcast. We were off for a while, and then obviously we resumed, and now we've basically got two back-to-back episodes in like less than Lucky a week. you guys. Yeah, less than a week. Um, today, we are with Aaron Palos. Is it Palos? Is that correct? Yes. Palos. Pretty close, yeah. Palos, Palos. <laughs> um, before we get started, though, we're going to start making it a habit to talk about what we're drinking, <laughs> because as we mentioned before... We are always drinking something. Always inebriated. And today we are drinking Not Your Father's Root Beer. And honestly, for me, I'm not much of a root beer person, but this is pretty good. Really? Yeah. Okay. Like I wouldn't just order a root beer. to. That's like the only soda I would drink. And hey, we yeah. can't all be cool. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's good. I mean, it tastes good. It goes down easy. You know, yeah. I could definitely see these being pretty dangerous. Oh, certainly. You know, you can knock out two or three like and working in your yard. In a bottle, right? Yeah, exactly. You're working in your yard and then all of a sudden you're trashed. <laughs> so anyway, not your father's root beer. Give that a try and uh, we'll kick it off. John. Uh, yeah. Today uh, we have Aaron Palos on. He's been a, a good friend of mine for what, four or five years now. I think I've been in the Springs for five ish. Yeah. And we I met think? shortly before you got here because you visited. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, remember, I remember rolling with you for the first yeah, time. Yeah, you visited me, roll with me, and I was like, "Why can't I tap this guy? This is stupid." <laughs> Annoying Iowa strength. <laughs> what did you think when you first rolled with him? Oh, I mean, you were—I think you were a brown belt at the time. I think I was a brown belt. I think I was yeah. too, because I got my yeah, black belt. Yeah, because you got it in between us meeting. Yeah, um, just just awesome. We had a, we had a really great roll. Yeah, we had I remember fun. correctly. We, yeah, it was awesome. We roll. still have a ton of fun. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We don't we don't ever tap each other like almost ever. Have you noticed that? Well, yours just showing mercy on me. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> um, but we'll start with uh, just 
Uh, well, obviously, we'll get into your um, your career and and where your life's gone. But can I give us just a play by play of of your your childhood, growing up, where you grew up, college, where you came from, et cetera? So, so I was born in Davenport, Iowa, which mm. is part of the Quad Cities. Uh, Thirty five years ago, just had my birthday a couple days ago. Happy nice. birthday! Nice. Thank you so much. Um, Thirty five feels normal, I yeah. guess. Um, you look normal. Oh, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> you look forty, um, really. But... <laughs> <laughs> just beard, I think. Um, no, we lived in the Davenport for a number of years. My dad started moving around after that. His job was all over the place uh, between like Illinois and Wisconsin and Iowa for basically then up until high school. Um, I like the thing I always tell people is like, I really like being from Iowa whenever I move somewhere else. I feel like generally the people were pretty like straightforward and nice and um, sort of like homegrown, I guess. Uh, and then, you know, I guess after spending all that time out there, I ended up going to University of Iowa for a little while, mm. finished up at St. Ambrose University because I was a horrible college student. Uh, man, I just I never went to class. Just the worst, man. Um, you know, what's funny about that is that's kind of a <laughs> common thing with people that are extremely successful is they weren't necessarily like the best students. Right. Yeah. I had a problem studying. So like I when I got to college, I just wanted to like honestly play video games and go out over the weekend and which is a bad combination for like, you know, something you're paying for. Yeah. Um, but I almost failed out of University of Iowa, uh, mostly because I think I didn't, there was no reason for me to go to class. Uh, I just would stay, stay in my dorm pretty much all day. And I made the decision to leave St. Or, or not St. Ambrose, but leave University of Iowa, go to St. Ambrose back in my hometown um, because it forced me to drive to <clears> class every day. Um, when I was forced to drive to class and actually go, I ended up getting straight A's for two and a half years and then just finished out. Nice. Um, still never studied though. Like I was, I was awful at that. Man. I don't know what it is about. I think it's my attention span or something like as a kid, I think they probably overprescribed this, but I had ADD. Yeah. So riddle and kid, all that kind of yeah. jazz. Um, but yeah, I mean, after college, I, I started to do political campaigns for a little while, um, which was a lot of work for almost no money. I think we were getting paid 2,500 bucks a month, which I thought was great at the time. It was like $30,000 ish a year. Um, but I mean, you work seven days a week, 14 hour days. We rarely got days off anytime mm. um, and really kind of got burned out on that two and a half years after college. Mm -hmm. uh, I was up. We had I think it was 2010 elections in Iowa and our, our, our side had done pretty well. And we ended up uh, I was sort of waiting for a job in government afterward. And the, the call never rang. <laughs> I literally like ran through all of my savings and was like, well, oh. what am I going to do now? Mm -hmm. um, ended up working for a grocery store for 10 months and almost got fired from that job because <laughs> apparently I was just like not very attentive to detail, which you'd think at a grocery store, how do you mess that up? Um, but it was high V and mm. like the, the management track there, it's crazy cutthroat. Really? Uh, nobody makes any money until you're a store director. Huh. You can be a store director, you can make half a million dollars a year. Yeah. Everybody else makes like 45. Okay. Mm. So I got thrown under the bus for a lot of stuff mm. and uh, left that and started working on campaigns again. Uh, met a guy that had a big Facebook page uh, and we created a bunch of smaller Facebook pages off of that. And that's sort of how I, my, my entry into social media happened. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, Facebook was kind of like the wild west back then. Yeah. You know, like it was just when fan pages were starting. When you say back then, like what, what time frame? That would have been around 2012. Okay. Yeah. It was, yeah. A, it was a, uh, I think it was right when Obama was running yeah, it would have been one of the times that Obama was running, if I remember correctly, mm -hmm. um, which was was bad for my side. At the time, I was a Republican. Yeah. Not so much anymore. Yeah. Um, kind of saying like centrist in the middle, but 
Uh, I met a guy that had a huge Facebook page that was politically oriented, but didn't know like what to do with it. Uh, we ended up creating a bunch of smaller pages off of that. Uh, one of the ones that I, I sort of stuck with ended up getting a couple million people. And that's sort of how I transitioned into like larger, like Facebook leveraging for traffic uh, into some of the websites that we maintained. And you, so you, did you start making money at like managing Facebook pages? Is that essentially like so, what your source of income was for a while there? Um, I was still doing political campaigns at that time. Um, and, and sort of after that campaign, after I, I was only on that campaign for a few months. Oh, oh by the way, I almost got fired from that job. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it was, it was not a very good track record. Um, I got You're a really, free spirit. That's the yeah, sense got it. Not That's a good really employee. Nice way to put it. Um, I used to get, I think, really distracted. Um, like it was hard for me not to be on Facebook. It was hard for me to like stay oriented to a particular task. Mm. Um, I just, I, I have, I have a hard time sitting down and focusing for long periods of time. And I think that that was like part of the reason why I was like on the edge of getting fired from so many jobs. Um, but after that, I started to work for a, a political consulting and fundraising company. Um, actually did very well there. For whatever reason, the, the type of work that we did there sort of forced me to be engaged. Otherwise, I would have gotten fired from that. Although I, I was on like three weeks in, I almost got fired from that job too, I thought. Um, but afterward, I ended up staying there for three and a half years. And the Facebook pages that I had cultivated um, in the political campaign before, I did it for free. Uh, I just would post like you know, funny cartoons or things that I thought were humorous um, for one of the pages that we worked on. And from there, um, I didn't make a single dollar off of Facebook until about two and a half years after I created the first page, mm. which now had like 1.5 million likes, which was pretty significant back then. Yeah. Um, and I met some guys that like had a couple websites that were sort of down like the political news section. Um, started working together and like the first month, I think I took home a check of like three grand. And I was like, wow. there's probably something to this. Yeah. Um, worked with those guys for two and a half years. And at the time, we ended up having one of the top 50 largest websites in the country, um, wow. which was awesome. And it was just me and two other guys, and we didn't really have any costs because everything was generated by Facebook traffic. Mm. So it was a blast. I mean, we were, you know, some of our bigger months on that, like you know, near the height of what we were doing, the, you know, our, our, our take before the split was like four to $500,000, and we had no costs, wow. which was nuts. Wow. Yeah. Um, it, it was really weird. Like, I didn't leave my job at the political consulting firm until I was literally almost earning my entire yearly salary every single month from my side gig. Yeah. Which was bizarre to think about. You, you asked sort of like, why would you stay with something that wasn't making you any money? Right. Yeah. I think I had this fear of, you know, being out on my own. Mm -hmm. When you work for somebody else, it's like, I know where my paycheck's coming yeah, from. It's you know, stable. Yeah. You can count on it every two weeks. But uh, it took yeah. me probably far too long to get out of that job. But once yeah. I did, um, I never really looked back. And I've been in social media ever since. And uh, I know you said, you know, we were talking before this, but you said your tax people were like, what, what, are, you, what are you doing on the side here? Because yeah. you've got no overhead and you're making all this money. It was a strange conversation. Yeah. So they're like, all right, it's so like, how much are you bringing in? And it's like, well, this month we brought in like, you know, 100 grand. One of our, one of our best months ever for me personally. Yeah. Um, and they're like, all right, like, what are your costs? I want to make sure we know what you're doing. I'm like, I have zero. Mm. And they literally like looked at me like I was crazy. They're like, okay, you must have some costs. I'm like, nope, everything's generated yeah. by, by Facebook. We, I, don't, I don't maintain the servers. The deal that I had with my partners was like, they would absorb costs and I would just take a straight percentage off the top, mm. which was fantastic. Mm. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty so, cool. Um, so my first question and answer it however you can, but uh, kind of plays into that. Um, your path to success. I, I know that you've, you've, in the past, you and I have discussed uh, your partnership with these two gentlemen. Um, and then eventually they 
and under what circumstances did you exit that partnership? And so, then moving forward, um, I guess my my main question with that was, do you feel like it was a good thing for you, or do you feel like it, it would have been better staying with them moving forward? I so my initial preference. So, so I, I think three years in, um, it was right before Trump got elected. That was 2016. Um, yeah. We were still doing fantastic as a site. And I had, here's what I think it was. I don't know exactly what they were thinking because um, when I asked them sort of why they wanted to buy me out, um, their answer was, we just we feel like we're going in a different direction. Okay. Um, I felt like I was owed a better answer than that, by yeah. the way. Um, but they're awesome guys and we all became like pretty successful together. So I can't really hold any like long-term negative feelings toward them. Um, they're both still in that sort of industry today. They do some different stuff now, um, but I think they're both doing quite well. Um, but they they felt like we were going in different directions. And I think it was mostly because um, I hadn't taken a day off for two and a half years. So I worked every single day, pretty much 14 hour days. I wake up at eight o'clock and I probably wouldn't be done with work until about 11. Wow. Uh, every single day, which is fine to do when you're like in your 20s. Um, but it's not really sustainable long term, or at least it wasn't for me. I, yeah. I couldn't do it. Um, so I eventually started like campaigning to, you know, I want my weekends off again. And that was sort of when things started going awry. And also, I felt that if we didn't start creating organic video content, um, like original, like not just like, you know, commentary on things that are happening through writing, but like original video content that eventually we would be nothing. Mm. Um, and that was really like five or six years before like Facebook video became really big. I just knew it was going to be. Mm. Um, and uh, they didn't want to go that route. They didn't want to do any sort of organic content. And like four or five months later, their entire site was dead after they bought me out. Oh, man. I mean, like their their traffic was cut by like probably 80%. Some of which we think is because Facebook blacklisted some of the stuff that we were doing yeah. uh, unfairly. Because of the leanings? Yeah. yeah. Um, we had a number of people from like upper uh, like websites like Wall Street Journal and New York Times reach out to us and be like, hey, like what's happening here? Um, and it was always a very strange conversation. Um, we, we had someone off record uh, sort of tell us like you've been blacklisted essentially from Facebook. Wow. Um, so that wasn't very fun, but I was already mm -hmm. out of it. So yeah. like, I was working with another client at the time, um, but it affected them too. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I mean like ended up being the best decision I ever made because I ended up getting paid like a significant buyout portion and like they were left with the bill. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. yeah, it could have been worse for sure. For if you. I, if yeah. I had not left, we would have split anyway and I wouldn't have got the buyout money. Mm. So that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, my, my question kind of ties into that too. So for those people that don't know, obviously you talked about your previous dealings with a successful page, mm -hmm. you know, but now obviously you've kind of shifted your focus to cars, right? Um, and you know, you've got what, 275,000 subscribers on YouTube for your page, yeah. Life of Polis, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you've obviously got a successful Instagram page, Facebook page. What have you done to set yourself apart in a in an era or a time where it seems like there's so much competition? You know, because right now it's like everybody is putting content on Facebook, everybody's putting content on YouTube. So, what sets you apart? Um, so, I, I thought one of the biggest things is at the time that I started doing like we had a YouTube channel for like a year and a half with almost no success. We had a couple like decent videos, like our Uber videos, but like it was few and far between. Um, I started transitioning to automotive news because I didn't feel like anyone was doing news centered around the community itself. Like they would do news about cars, like, hey, here's a new Ferrari that came out. Um, but they wouldn't talk about, you know, hey, here's this massive creator that has 2 million followers and he maybe is going to be getting this new Ferrari too. 
And I think that there was a craving for that that people really didn't know at the time. We did one video after a high profile automotive YouTuber at the time, probably one of the biggest. Um, his channel was Salamandrin. Um, so this channel, Salamandrin, like he had just bought a McLaren Senna. And I mean, monster hypercar, like just, I mean, like, you know, oh, I think it was like $1.5 million. And uh, it had caught on fire and like burned to the ground. Oh, man. And because there was no one out there, uh, I say relatively no one. There, there might have been a couple people doing it, but no one like successfully. Um, we did a video discussing the fact that we like looked at it, thought it was his car and did a news report saying like, oh, like Salamandran Senna has burned down. And one of the reasons why our that's so that ended up being like a 600,000 hit video at the time, which was crazy to us mm -hmm. for, for, for viewers uh, and new subscribers. And like that ended up he didn't make a comment on whether it was his Senna or not for like a full week and a half. So like our our video was the only commentary anywhere on YouTube mm. that was getting significant traction talking about this huge YouTuber that just bought a hypercar uh, that burned to the ground. And he had posted a bunch of like kind of like strange uh, like Instagram stories as well afterward that nobody could make sense of at the time. And so we talked about that as well. And, you know, after we saw that half a million hit video, we're like, well, there's probably something to this if we can like do it. Mm. Um, and we kind of stuck with it. And that's when our channel shifted to automotive community news ever since. Yeah. So basically you found that niche that you're passionate about, mm -hmm. right? Um, and then I, you know, one of the things I hear as a reoccurring theme from people who are successful on social media or influencers or content creators is consistency. You know, would you say that's a fair assessment of just kind of continuously putting stuff out there? I know you kind of talked about, you know, sometimes you put stuff out there and it, it hits and sometimes it mm -hmm. doesn't, but you put something out every day, yeah. right? If there are a lot of uh, automotive YouTubers that are a lot, like you look, you'll take a snapshot of their channel, see a couple couple videos that'll have 100,000 views and um, that might look great on the surface, but if they're only posting twice a month, you're talking about negligible views overall. Yeah. Um, you know, if you look at my page now, like our last couple of videos, are like 30,000, like 50,000. Um, but you know, we'll do 1.5 to 2 million views a month because we're just that consistent. We put up one to two episodes every single day. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think we're, we're going to hit a thousand episodes on, on the life of Paulus YouTube channel, probably early next year. Wow. Like that's crazy. I January. remember when you started it. Kind of just snuck up. That's and what's, what's your, like, what's the highest view count on one of your videos? It was actually an older video. It was a 10th video I ever did. I took a, a really horribly wrapped Mercedes AMG. Uh, oh, you brought it to CarMax. Yeah. Yeah. So that, it, yeah. We did that and not many YouTubers have done that at that time. Yeah. And that was, uh, people loved it. So that got a million hits, but that's mm. the only million hit video we've ever had. We've had a bunch that are in like the, the upper hundreds of thousands. But um, the, the weird thing about doing what we do is like, it's all content like, surrounding other people's content. Mm -hmm. And so like to get a million hit video in the news, you have to be talking about someone significantly larger than you. There are only a couple of channels that do that for like general population YouTube, like Philip DeFranco, who can get a million views in a video, but he's talking about creators that might have 50 million subscribers. Well, I'm sort of limited to people that have two to 3 million. So mm. we're just ca capturing like a small part of their audience every day. Mm. I've kind of got an impromptu question to kind of piggyback off of this, this content creation and, and being successful on social media. So, you know, we've interviewed uh, four or five people now, and obviously this is the mentor podcast. And, you know, one of the things that we consistently ask people is who are some of the mentors that have influenced you? But what I'm kind of curious of is in this digital sphere, 
you know, uh, content creation, videos, uh, social media, have you had any sort of mentors in that sphere who have, you have either watched their videos to say, okay, this is kind of how I want to format my platform, or maybe you've met somebody who was more successful than you or successful before you were that kind of showed you the way. (laughs) Well, you got even Joe, right? What's that? Even maybe Joe, right? Beckwith. Oh yeah. So I actually, it's funny. So I actually pushed Joe I was yeah. a good friend of ours who runs a very successful YouTube channel as well, who's blowing up, by the way, right now. Yeah. She got into YouTube shorts over the last month, and there is significant viewership in them. Mm. She's gone up 50,000 subscribers in one month. Wow. It's an yeah, incredible she's had thing. an impressive run so far, um, definitely. Shorts is a weird part of YouTube as well. It's, it's like their version of TikTok, and so they're, they're, they're plugging uh, it really hard like uh-huh. internally to try to like be a competitor to TikTok. And so anyone who puts out shorts consistently, like if you if you get put into their algorithm, you're doing very well. Mm-hmm. The only problem with right now is it's not monetized very well. Like even the largest YouTube shorts creator on the planet that gets billions of views a month literally doesn't even make 10 grand a month off that. Oh, so it's, there's a, there's definitely like, a, but that might change. Yeah. You know, um, obviously you can get sponsorships at that level, which is great. Um, but what, your question was sort of, have I met other yeah, people? Yeah, do you have, do you have an... I guess really what I'm trying to say is a lot of times, you know, we think of mentors and we think of like tangible people mm-hmm. in a sense that, you know, okay, jujitsu, a jujitsu mentor is somebody who, you know, comes and physically spends time with you to learn jujitsu. And I'm just shooting from the hip here, but I expect that maybe, you know, doing something in the digital sphere is a little bit different. Like, you know, maybe you look up somebody on YouTube who shows you how to go about these steps or, you know, you find somebody who, has done it successfully and you try to copy their blueprint. So, you know, have you had mentors in this sphere um, that that you've kind of gravitated towards that have taught you how to, you know, kind of be as successful as you have with social media and YouTube? Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of creators in particular. Um, there's a creator called Shmi150 uh, that I think is sort of like the godfather of automotive YouTube. So he's been doing YouTube for over a decade now. I think he's got, I want to say like 4,000 videos up. He posts every single day, except for, I think, January 1st. I think he takes one day off a year, for wow. posting, which is crazy. Um, one of the the hardest work ethics of anyone I've ever known. Um, and has just stayed, and it all actually, like, his channel got started off of, like, filming a, a Lamborghini Aventador crash. I think, actually, it wasn't even him filming. It was somebody, he, like, took their video afterward and, like, gave him, like, a small sum or something like that. Um, and then, like, you know, hosted that video on his channel. And that got, like, 10 million hits or something and sort of, like, jump-started a lot of what he does. Uh, the guy's an encyclopedia of car knowledge, has 10 times the knowledge I would ever have. And looking to like someone like him for consistency, I think was great. Um, what I think is kind of dangerous, though, is like trying to emulate people too closely. Mm. So like a mm. lot of people, um, I feel like will emulate like this other creator called Stradman. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's a phenomenal creator in the automotive community, gets about a million hits a video, um, has, a, has a Bugatti Veyron and a number of other Lamborghinis. Like really cool story, by the way, too. Um, but I think people look at his style because he's one of the more successful vlog styles out there and they try to emulate it. But you, you'll you never be as good. I, I forget who said this, but um, I kind of took it to heart afterward. Like if you're trying to emulate someone, you'll never be as good as them at, at emulating their own style. Yeah. And so I had to try to like not emulate other people to a T mm. um, and sort of just like try to like forge our own path because it's, mm. it's so easy to like look at someone else successful and be like, I want to do what they're doing and try to like capture some of that. But I think that you can only go so far with that. Yeah. Well, that advice yeah. carries to almost every area in life. I yeah. Mean, we talked about jujitsu today and you can't like, I'm never going to be as good at being a giant behemoth as John is. You know? <laughs> of course. <laughs> it's genetics. <laughs> 
I think about it from the fire department perspective, yeah. you know, like we have, I, I've never been a very charismatic person, you know, I'm, I'm more introverted. Um, and when I first got hired by the fire department, I would see these people who were charismatic and everybody gravitated towards them. They told yeah. the best stories they got the most laughs. And for a while there, I was like, how do I become like that? But that was just so unnatural for me to try yeah. to emulate them like you're talking about. So I think the moral of the story is if you're going to do something, whether it's creating content, whether it's jujitsu, whether it's the fire department, just be yourself. Yeah. You got to work hard. Right. But be, but yourself. be yourself. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Very cool. Well, I have one more question that kind of ties into what we've talked about so far, and then we'll kind of move on to a jujitsu sure. conversation since that's something we like all it. love. Where did your love of cars come from? And what's the coolest car you've owned? Oh, man. Um, so my love of cars, I probably came from my dad. Mm. So my dad, like, had a, just a, a massive love of cars and, like, would sort of share things on the road. And, like, you know, my, one of my things, like, when I was a kid is, you know, I could try to point to a car and be like, you know, what car is that, dad? And for the most part, like, he knew every single car. I thought that was so cool. He'd tell me a little bit about it. And he knew yeah. so much about it. And um, at some point, I started looking at, like, early Lamborghini Diablos. I had a picture of a big yellow one on my wall. And I think that I was like, someday I'd love to have an exotic car like that. Um, which, you know, when you're a kid, you know, it's like, it's a pipe dream. Mm -hmm. um, it's crazy to own even a couple of crazy cars now. And there are lots of people out there that are a lot more successful, but it's, it's always been a cool thing to have some of the cars that we have. Um, I think probably the, the coolest car that I've owned is our, is our McLaren 570S right now. I love that car. Um, it was, uh, we bought it three years ago. And it's just, it's an, it's a, it's a rocket ship. It's a mm -hmm, spaceship. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. And we've like tuned it and straight piped it and put on a, a large wing in the background. And it's, uh, it's crazy to own a car like that. It's got the fun billionaire doors, you know, if you guys mm. watch yeah. uh, <laughs> what show, but, um, yeah, that's a great car. The Ferrari is fantastic too. Super loud. And it's, it's really fun to drive. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, so we'll transition here. Uh, I met you through jujitsu through a shared love that we have for jiu-jitsu. You are also a black belt. Um, you've been a black belt for three years now, four it years now? It would be four something. Yeah. Yeah, because I put my, yeah, I put one stripe on last year. Mm. Okay. So four years, I think. Yeah, yeah, getting uh, getting seasoned as a black belt. Trying. Um, you and I have had conversations about this on and off the entire time I've known you. What do you believe are some characteristics that every black belt should have? So I, I thought about this right before yeah. you guys came and I was like, I think one of the things that I feel like most black belts need because they're, they're looked to for guidance a lot is patience. And I feel like, I think patience, it's so important on so many different levels and not, not, not even just for like your own training, yeah. like, you know, to be like, okay, like if I continue to do this, I'll probably get better to some degree. Um, but also like patience, like working with people that have questions for you as well. You know, whether you want to be a coach or not, like. At some point, if you're an upper belt of any sort, purple, purple, brown, or black, you're, you're going to be asked for for advice. Um, and I think that being patient with people that maybe have like interesting questions or even like strange questions, yeah, and not like you know scoffing at anything like that. And it's probably probably pretty hard sometimes. I would imagine if someone asks you like a bizarre question, yeah. Um, uh, I think patience is a huge deal. And then, gosh, let me think about this. Like it, this was such a difficult question for me to answer too. Like well, it's hard this, because you have. I mean, there's so many different types of jujitsu black belts from different backgrounds and different skill levels, uh, different teaching styles, different levels of patience as you're talking about right now. But I, it's a definitely a difficult question. So I think being able to like, I don't know if this is like a quality as much as it is like something that you would do, um, but pacing yourself, 
you know, like I train pretty regular for like the first 10 years of jujitsu, like pretty much yeah. three to four times a week, every single week. Uh, and like, I was kind of afraid to take time off. Um, but I started getting burned out. Like the first year of black belt, I was like, man, like I'm starting not to like jujitsu anymore. Yeah. So I started coming in a little bit less, but that actually helped reinvigorate, um, my love for jujitsu as a whole. Uh, and you know, during COVID, I think I took off 10 months, which I've never done yeah. ever, but I came back and I was like excited about jujitsu again. So there's gotta be something to that. I've known a lot of phenoms that do five to six days a week, multiple times a day and they're burned out and they're, they're done. Yep. And I, I see that more more so often in like kids too. We'll have like a 15 year old who's a monster. Um, but by the time they're 17, they're not training anymore. Yeah. I yeah. think pacing yourself is an important thing. Not quite a, a quality, but protecting your hunger. Yep. Yep. We, one we, of the yeah. One of the things my uh one of my mentors we were interviewed, uh Ramiko, you know Ramiko. Yeah. Uh he he talks to me about pretty often is is protecting my hunger. And, and protecting your hunger for things that you you love because you can you can grow to hate anything um, and I think you knew me Aaron right before I left for the fire department and I was coaching I don't know six days a week all day um, and I I legitimately disliked jujitsu I wouldn't say I hated it but I, I strongly disliked yeah, you seemed pretty right? close a couple times <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, and I would come in and I would roll and it, it wasn't I wasn't I wasn't happy about it. I wasn't my regular self. And um, that 14 months off I took in, in my initiation into the fire service, for my, my academy in the first year as a, as a probie uh, was huge for me. And I came back and I absolutely, just like you said, with your 10 months off because of COVID, I absolutely loved jiu-jitsu again. Um, and that was huge. So I think that's for anything in life. You got mm-hmm. to take a break mm-hmm. and you got to reevaluate your priorities with it. So, yeah. yeah. Mine's a jujitsu question too. So it's it's kind of funny because all of our guests so far have been from jujitsu, even though they come from different walks of life. And ultimately in doing this podcast, I've started to realize like people who stick with jujitsu long enough seem to be successful in life in whatever endeavor they're doing. And I haven't met too many black belts that aren't successful in life. You yeah. know, they don't have their craft together. They might not be, you know, they might have a ton of visibility and they might just be grinding away, but most people are successful. So what characteristics have you taken from jujitsu that apply to what you've done to be successful in other walks of life? Gosh, I think like the, the analytical nature of breaking down someone's game, I think really helps out in like what I do normally for like mm-hmm. YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, like when I, I mean, I mean, we've all heard like the chess comparisons, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like trying to figure out the best way to like, you know, get the checkmate. I feel like I take that exact same sort of drive and like like analytical nature of that and I push it toward like YouTube and like what am I doing wrong if something didn't go very well like how do I readjust it like how can I try new things like if something is working you know better than most should I stick with that um and that's that's a lot of what we do the nice thing about YouTube is like you get instant uh like analytical feedback mm-hmm. off of videos like I know within two minutes of posting a video if it's going to be a large video or not yeah that it's that like sort of finely tuned like luckily for YouTube you know, they give you all that information. Um, that can also be like the worst thing ever too. Mm. Um, there are lots of it, like instances where like YouTube started doing this thing for creators a little while ago where they'll show you where your current video is posted, sort of what it is ranked out of your last 10 videos by the hour. And so like if, if you throw up a video and it's like 10 out of 10, it's pretty much the worst feeling like career-wise in the <laughs> world for that particular day. Because mm. you've messed up bad enough to be in the bottom 10% of your last videos. Um, but I think just continuing to like show up like mm-hmm. every single day, 
um, you know, we're a thousand episodes in almost at this point, And like, you know, we're nothing's going to be stopping us from continuing for the next thousand. Yeah. I looked at people like Shmi, the guy that I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, and he's got 4,000 videos. Right. The guy never stopped. Yeah. So just like perseverance, I think is one of the biggest things, just showing up every day and sort of looking at it like a puzzle to solve. Yeah. That's funny that you say that because literally our last episode with Jason Mitchler, we talked to him about resilience, you know, and how do you build resilience? And he talked about, you know, difficult things in life inherently build resilience, but you just have to show up, you know, like that's the first step. He, he talked about how all of the things he anticipated would be hard, weren't nearly as hard as they thought, as he thought they were. Mm-hmm. It was just taking that first step to continually keep moving. Absolutely. So I think that applies across all spectrums. Okay. I've got another kind of impromptu question here related to jujitsu. Um, we, John and I talked about in our initial podcast what it meant to us individually. Um, and for me, I, I didn't do a lot of sports growing up. I didn't have a lot of clubs or anything I was involved in. Um, but jujitsu was really a good foundation uh, to build good characteristics for the rest of my life. Um, that's what it means to me. What does jujitsu mean to you? What did you get out of it? Um, that you think has helped you with the rest of your life? Gosh, I feel like one of the biggest things that helped me was getting my butt kicked all the time okay. for a number yeah. of years, putting myself in situations where, you know, you're getting like beat down by much, much better people. Mm. They were my, the guy that eventually promoted me to black belt just used to destroy me. Yeah. I mean, for like a good decade, like there were times when I would sort of catch up with him a little bit and then the gap would, you know, yeah. get significantly And then larger. you figured out that footlock, dude, and it was yeah. all. <laughs> I started doing that at Bluebell, man. And I was like, oh, okay, I can, I can get him. Like yeah. for now, um, I feel like most people, um, and, and I'm generalizing here a little bit, but I think most people have never dealt with what it's like to have somebody like very good at jujitsu, like, beating the crap out of you like yeah. belly and making you feel like you have no idea what to do yeah i think it's really good for people to feel that Certainly. otherwise you walk through life with this like fake aura of invincibility totally. yeah you guys you're not totally. in already yes um i hate that i feel like i know instantly when i meet someone that's never had a hard day like mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. and yes. you know obviously people go through different things so i'm not trying to say that there are not like you know situations that people deal with that might form them differently yeah but i think jujitsu is a pretty pretty good path to go if you want to like be humble mm-hmm. well i totally agree with that as far as just just being humble but but getting your butt kicked i mean when i was going through fire academy i knew it'd be challenging because i'd talk to guys like john and and mitch and our friend adam and some of the other firefighters that helped guide me through the process but my whole thought was like man i've been training with adam wheeler for the last you know nine eight nine years of my life and if i can be underneath that dude and stay calm. I can stay calm in any situation and be fine in any situation <laughs> moving forward in my life because he's a behemoth. Oh, yeah. So just, but like you said, just getting comfortable getting your butt kicked, I think is, is huge for people. I think, so, it, I think it's been yeah. a big deal for me because um, I think once you've had the worst day in jujitsu ever, yeah. nothing else quite feels as bad. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So. I think it teaches you to respect other people in a way that you maybe didn't respect other people before, too. Like for me, when I was like 18 years old, full of piss and vinegar, it was like, I just felt like I could take on the world, Mm -hmm. you know? And like, now I'm like, I don't know if that guy does jujitsu. Like if I say something wrong to that guy or I cross him, maybe he's going to, you know, kick my ass, you know, like no offense, but most people probably look at you and not think like, 
you would jack them up. You know, you've got glasses and yeah. Oh no, I love it. Like (laughs) on YouTube, like there's this whole crowd of people that don't like me because you know whenever you get to a certain stage at YouTube, they don't know, man, that you would just fuck them up. I mean, it's you know, it's kind of funny because people are like, look at this, look at this simp, or like you know, I'm like, hey man, you you believe whatever you want, but feel free to come train at Colorado Springs. Yeah, that's funny. It's always funny because you, I mean, you have no idea what someone else. Well, is a lot of guys, of. if I can just just brag about you for a second, don't sure, don't Jack. know how good you are. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're a great black belt. That's very nice of you um, to say. It's true, man. And uh, I mean, you know how people come up and ask stupid questions. Don't. If, by the way, if you're at Prime and you're listening to this, <laughs> don't ask stupid questions. Okay, you're not stupid. Just don't ask stupid questions. Yeah. But advice um, for life, right? <laughs> um, but like people will come to me and ask like, hey, hey, can you type up Professor Aaron? Do you beat up Professor Aaron? And I'm like, uh, no, that dude's a savage. Yeah. What are you talking about? Like, oh, really? You don't you don't beat him up? Like, yeah, he's a beast. He's an he's an animal. He's a, a corn fed Iowa boy, mm. you know. So, but yeah, anyway, Aaron's really good jiu-jitsu. So. That, that's very nice of you yeah. to say. I really enjoy training, man. It's, it's been a blast. Yeah, we we love having you. So, are we on to it's you? Okay, did Rocking I steal your now. question? No. Nope. Are you sure? Yeah, no, you're good. Okay. That's it. Um, okay. Well, you and I have talked a little bit about uh, your brand as I've known you. Yeah. Uh, right now, it's in exotic cars, which is, a, a, it's a niche. It's a lot of people are into it. But I'm wondering, um, you had mentioned to me that you might get in eventually into either jujitsu videos or I know that you are heavily into video games. I Something like game, that. Yeah. So do I. So we share that. Probably more than cars. Really? Yeah. Uh, do you ever see, not specifically the video games, but do you ever see your channels or maybe maybe additional channels going in different directions, whether it's, and I'm just thinking the interest I know that you have, uh, video games, jujitsu, whatever it may be. Do you ever see yourself branching out from there? Yeah, we started a general commentary channel so that I could talk about non-car things. Okay. Um, but then, like so many other people that have started secondary channels, like you just you don't have enough time in the day, mm. and our, our our video schedule is so aggressive, um, and posting every single day requires us to be like looking for stories, um, you know, writing everything down, the whole like filming process, editing, all of that happens, and it's hard to squeeze in like. Playing an hour of video games where you're not just like playing the game, you're having to record yourself and make it like semi interesting for a viewer. Yeah. And because I'm not like the greatest video game player in the world, um, if I was, it would be significantly easier to gain a following. Mm. Most of the largest like Twitch streamers and YouTube streamers, they're at least like pretty good at most of the games. Yeah. Uh, top level people generally have, you know, a better audience but for if it. But you see quite a few of them might not be that good. They're just very charismatic. That's the thing, right? Yeah. Is like like opening myself. I, I have a very like set personality for all the like the news videos that we do. So I don't really crack jokes that often. Like I have a fun time, but video games is really different. I feel like mm-hmm. as a as a, a topic to do. Yeah. Um. I feel like you have to make it like relatively entertaining if your gameplay is not why they're there. Mm. So I mean, it's uh, we we've experimented. We've recorded yeah. a couple of videos. Have you considered? And I'm just asking, but have you considered you do you do a news channel for supercars? Mm-hmm. Have you considered doing like something like a news channel for video games oh, yeah. or a news channel for jujitsu? It's a good idea. I'm sure there's a lot, right? um, or are there not a lot? No, well, there are, but uh, um, I think the thing. So, like, one of the reasons why I'm I'm decent at what I do is like you know during my time doing like news website stuff forever ago, I mean we had to come up with a new article on the hour every single hour. So we were pumping out. I mean we we had sort of evergreen stuff that we'd post overnight, but I mean generally like twelve to fifteen new articles a day. So I'm coming up with a new topic to talk about and sending it off to my writers uh, pretty much every hour. So like YouTube is like 
it's a piece of cake by yeah. comparison. Mm. I'm only coming up with one real like headline or topic every single day. Um, and I, I think that like the ability to find stories in areas that you might not think would be, you know, newsworthy is something that I can do better than most people. Mm -hmm. That's what we did forever. It's what, how we made all of our money beforehand. It's what we do on YouTube now. Um, and I think a lot of people that cover news nowadays being like sensationalist sells very well, mm -hmm. can also get you in a lot of trouble. Mm. Um, there's a lot of people that like, you know, if I, if I were much more opinionated on my channel, whether it was video games or whether it was exotic car stuff, I'd probably get more views, but I might also get myself into trouble talking about certain topics, mm. which, you know, every once in a while people get mad at the topics that we do cover now, even though we don't really take a side on anything. Mm -hmm. But you know, when someone else talks about you, there's, there's like an eagerness to want to like go after them in some yeah. way. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's a weird sort of like balancing act. Yeah. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Well, that's pretty much it for our formal questions. Cool. So, uh, first of all, we obviously appreciate you taking the time to do this. Um, second of all, if people want to see your content or, uh, you know, see your pages, talk about where they can see you. YouTube is our biggest, like I'm okay. pretty inactive on Instagram. We use yeah. it mostly for DMS about news tips. Um, so we've, I mean, we've got like 50,000 people to follow us there, but I don't really post a lot of original content there. Mm -hmm. So YouTube is probably the best. And the Just channel is life of life Palos. Of Palos. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. If you like exotic cars, it's great. Otherwise you're probably not going to want to watch. I mean, I want to see Aaron's handsome face. Yeah. yeah. Well, I watch Aww, some, shucks. I, I don't, I'm not big into exotic cars, but I watched some of your videos and I thought they were awesome. Well, yeah. thank you Especially, very much. I know you see you don't really do them anymore, but like I said, the Uber ones. I thought those were pretty funny. Yeah, you know, they're, just they're for fun people videos. to get into this sweet car. And you're giving them you should do ride. you should do a video where you let your friend John drive all your cars around. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again. Appreciate of course. It. Awesome. Appreciate you. Thank you all for taking the time to tune in today and listen to our episode with Aaron. If you enjoyed this episode, there's multiple ways that you can help grow our podcast and help support us. First of all, if you haven't already. We have a Facebook page. It's at Mentor Podcast on Facebook. If you wouldn't mind going there and giving us a like, we would appreciate that. And then also we have an Instagram page as well. Our Instagram page is at Mentor Podcast CO. Again, that's at Mentor Podcast CO. And we'd appreciate a follow there as well. And then, of course, one of the most important ways that you can help us is just spreading the word, whether you tell your friends by word of mouth about our podcast or whether you share it on social media. Any bit of exposure we can get to get this podcast out, we greatly appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and we'll catch you next time.